Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, event sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and your Commodore cocktails. Hey, thanks so much for spending Saturday night right here on 570 KVI. Uh, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. is Happy Hour, Happy Hour Radio, the best in food, wine, spirits, cocktails, beer, events, and education from all around the world. And uh, I'm pleased to have uh, two cool cats in the studio. Uh, Eugenio Jardim is uh, one of the spokespeople for the Wines of Portugal. And recently I had the pleasure of, uh, well, going back to my old stomping ground at the Rainier Club and uh, trying some great Portuguese wines. And that includes Port, of course, but uh, we're talking about Verdeo and Alvarino and uh, Aveso, and, uh, well, Eugenio's going to tell us all about those great wines. He's brought four lovely selections, so we'll try those. But uh, i got a cool cat. His uh, name is Jack Jabal, and um, he owns VineTrainings.com. He's uh, a local scribe and a sommelier, and uh, well, we'll get right into it. Hey, Zach Jabal, welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks so much for having me, Christopher. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so uh, happy Saturday night to you, and uh, you brought a couple wines. Um, but let's talk about uh, where you're from and how you came to Seattle and how you got in the wine biz. Uh, you know, the those are kind of all the same story. So uh, I grew up here in Seattle, uh, and I grew up in a restaurant family. Um, my dad was a cook for a while, uh, both before and after I was born, and um, my stepmom owns a couple of restaurants here in Seattle, uh, and so we grew up in an environment where there was always wine around. Um, I wouldn't say either were connoisseurs per se, but it was a, just a part of the, you know, the Saturday evening ritual, uh, so, you know, I'm hearkening back to that with some wine uh, right now, <laughs> and uh, it was on the table, and it was just, it was expected. Both had, both were, you know, European-influenced people in a lot of ways, and so, um, we kind of had a European approach to it. I got to try wine as a kid. It just wasn't a big deal. Um, and then I got to spend some time in Italy, had a real kind of transformative experience with a bottle of uh, Brunello di Montalcino, spent some time uh, in working in and around wine in Seattle, um, continued to do that, and as just burgeoned as a thing I'm interested in. Uh, and because there's so much to learn, it never gets old. Right, there's always a new vintage and uh, probably a new winery, and of course, new countries and uh, old vines coming back to life. Yeah, and new varietals. I mean, you know, just in hearing you give the intro talking about some uh, Portuguese varietals that if I've if I've tried, it's once, and some of them I haven't even had the chance to try. So it's exciting. You know, there's just there's endless new things in the world of wine. That's what makes it fun and delicious. Hopefully, um, you. Uh, well, what's the background for the restaurants? Is it? Uh, I'm taking it's not teriyaki. <laughs> no Italian mostly. Um, so that was the that was sort of my early uh, influence on in the world of wine and, and my first loves. As mentioned, that bottle of Brunello in, in Florence when I was 19, um, and some others. You know, my my early inclinations were all towards sort of that rustic. Uh, sort of tannic, acidic, very kind of evocative wine of Tuscany and then uh, Piedmont as well when I could start affording it. Um, and I still retain a real fondness for the wines of Italy um, and sort of similar wines around the world. Although working in the restaurant industry in Seattle, you learn to love um, certainly Cabernet Sauvignon. You learn to love Oregon Pinot Noir. And, and studying more formally for my um, sommelier certification, kind of got to experience the whole world of wine in a way that prior to that I hadn't 
and uh, found some surprising favorites other places that I might not have known anything about had it not been for that. Well, that's great. Uh, of course, the uh, Court of Master Sommeliers, the International Sommelier Guild, and the uh, Society of Wine Educators, uh, of course, the, what is it, the World Spirits... No, the Wine Spirits Educational Trust. So we have four institutions that help uh, sort of proctor and mentor uh, and elevate, certify our sommeliers and bartenders and uh, spirit professionals. Um, and you're you're achieving, you're looking for the so advanced I've, or certified? Where are you at? I've, I got my certified sommelier exam through the Quartermaster Psalms um, in December of 2013, so two and a half years ago. Um, and... Um, as far as advanced goes, maybe in the future. Um, for now, I'm more, a little bit more focused on um, writing and um, my business and um, may, and looking at sort of other ways to learn. So I've actually looked at WSET a little bit. But for now, um, you know, the great thing about wine is you can learn formally and you can also learn informally um, because, you know, education is inside every bottle. Yeah, so. and there's a big mix of that. It's, it's not always in a book. you mm-hmm. got to sort of open the, crack that bottle. So you, apparently you are a, a wine scribe. And tell us about uh, your byline. Who are you writing for? Uh, so I write a column for the Seattle Weekly, um, or one of our local alt-weeklies uh, that's uh, called The Barcode. Uh, so it covers wine and spirits and sort of drinking culture in and around Seattle. Uh, Isn't there a bar called the Barcode? Yes, which was established after my column, which is (laughs) funny. And I have toyed over and over with writing a column about going there, but it seems almost too much like a forced kind of comparison. Um, But yeah, it is. uh, I can't claim it's the single most creative name in and around. Uh, drinking, but uh, but it works <laughs> well for me. They they my my uh, my column is uh, three distinct words: the barcode, and theirs is just the barcode, which makes sense, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it it has been brought to my attention on a few different occasions. Um, and I also write a column that's more wine focused called uh, Tasting Notes for Sip Northwest, um, and that runs every other week on their website. And that's um, a little bit more, like I said, wine focused and maybe slightly more technical. Um, and the Seattle Weekly column is a little bit more designed to be um, approachable from all angles because the Weekly's readership is so diverse. Yeah, and so we can find that at the SeattleWeekly.com and, of course, uh, SipNorthwestMagazine.com. Uh, just SipNorthwest.com. SipNorthwest.com, mm-hmm. so we can find some of your articles and your perspective on wine and spirits. Uh, do you have a blog, or is it something separate as well mm-hmm. where you can archive all that stuff? Yeah, so um, my website... Uh, personal website, uh, vinetrainings.com. That's vine with a V, uh, trainings.com. Um, there's a blog tab on that page um, and uh, post um, links to my many of my articles um, as well as some other thoughts that just for whatever reason don't necessarily fit into the format of publishing, uh, publication, don't fit the schedule, or you know maybe have some content that neither publication is super excited about running because uh, sometimes I, I like to tell it like it is from time to time and uh, you know that always does sometimes ruffle some feathers sure well um, making some waves in that class of wine speaking with Zach Jabal who is uh, well the wine scribe for uh, the barcode article of the column in Seattle Weekly and uh, Sip Northwest what's that one called? Tasting Notes Tasting Notes how appropriate so Vine Trainings is uh, why I reached out to you wanted to learn more about this tell me what VineTrainings.com is all about well you know I got really interested um, actually as I was studying for my uh, sommelier certification in wine education and I found that um, not so much in talking with other people in the wine profession but talking with friends family uh, and other people who uh, are interested in wine that they really didn't even know where to start you know there are books you can pick up but by and large they tend to be either sort of intensely academic or um, 
maybe overly broad yellow and black with something dummies yeah something <laughs> like that um, and that in that the world of wine has grown at such a rate um, you know the kind of wine that's available in Seattle now on grocery store shelves wine shop shelves restaurant lists is uh, it's an order of magnitude almost from when I started in this industry over a decade ago and I'm sure you know people who go back further than I do can talk about it in even more um, expansive terms but what became clear was that people would sit down to dinner in a restaurant or they'd go into a local shop and they wouldn't even know where to start. Uh, they just wouldn't unless they went to something that they already knew. And there were a whole bunch of people that I met that wanted to try new wine but just didn't know where to start. They didn't know how to find a varietal that went beyond the sort of... How to understand the varietal, too. Yeah. I and mean, that's really the most important part is, like, what am I ordering and why am I ordering it? What am I supposed to look for? Exactly. Or how to put it in some sort of frame of reference uh, with a wine they already knew. So if they knew they liked Cabernet Sauvignon, well, okay, they can just keep ordering Cab Sauv for the rest of their life. And some of them do. <laughs> I serve them from time to time. Yes. But sometimes people want to go beyond that, but they don't even know what else that could be. And you can Google that and you can maybe read about it. But that information is really... Um, not always well organized and it or it can be behind um, sort of a veil of industry jargon. And so my my goal in forming my business was really to um, help people learn about wine in as plain a language as I could manage, but not overly simple. So the idea is to not necessarily talk about wine simplistically, but in plain language. And so that sometimes is challenging because as you know, there are wine concepts that resist easy definition but but by and large we try and talk about things that people can smell taste and experience in a glass of wine and and then maybe talk about how those uh structural elements and flavors came to be in the first place, where that comes from. Excellent. Well, you've uh, brought three examples of wine to uh, sort of share your expertise and your uh, your approach to understanding wine. Uh, so let's take uh, this first wine. What's this first wine? Where's it from? What's it called? And uh, take me through sort of an introduction. Well, the the fun thing about this wine is um, I, I relatively recently took a trip up to British Columbia, um, whose wine region is something of kind of a black box to even fairly knowledgeable people uh, here in the States because their wine rarely makes it to the United States and certainly doesn't Except get any quantities. Cases, it seems. Yes, or in the back of an SUV, as was <laughs> the case with me in this bottle. Um, and so I think they're making great wine up there. Um, this is a bottle of uh, 2015 Riesling uh, from a winery called Tantalus uh, in Kelowna, B.C., at the sort of northern end of um, Okanagan Lake. And um, what I love about this wine is it really is a great example of how when people say, I don't like sweet wine, which is a thing that I hear all the time, people really don't know what that means. I agree. I don't like wine that is only sweet. It's just not interesting. If I wanted only sweet, I'd drink soda. Um, but <laughs> this Riesling, which I think has this beautiful sort of classic Riesling set of aromatics, green apple, and a slight petrol note, um, although it's quite young, so that I think will develop with time, has definite residual sugar. It's there on the initial taste. You get that hint of sweetness. But there is so much acidity in this wine that to think of drinking this wine fermented dry with no sugar is just, I mean, I would have poured it out. It's, it, it's, it would be unbearable. As is, it's got this great kind of lightning bolt of acidity that just that finishes that taste off super clean. And it's, it's you know, perfect for a, a Saturday summer afternoon um, or the middle of winter when you want a little uh, little hint of sunshine. <laughs> a little hint of sunshine. And acidity, of course, is uh, one of the main uh, structural components of wine. We look at uh, flavor, acid, alcohol, and typically tannin. Um, 
And this wine, of course, uh, super racy, uh, nice and bright. And with uh, you got the green apple, just a touch of lime. Um, and very, there's that sort of plastic note on it, which in a good way is something we refer to as some of these wines where they have the petroleum note. Um, this wine is basically just uh, over, just it's not room temperature, it's like under room temperature. It's got a slight chill on it, but mm -hmm. um, how do you like to serve these wines? Is this, do you typically bring this, is this a classroom style example of how the temperature? Yeah, because I think oftentimes when people experience white wines in particular and, and often sort of aromatic or more expressive varietals, if you taste those wines too cold, you know, you pull the bottle out of the fridge, you open it and you taste it. It doesn't taste like much of anything, and you get that sometimes is fine, you especially know, when you have acid, a high acid yeah. wine. That and you know if you're if you're sitting on the you know on the Ligurian coast in Italy and you're you know right outside you know right off the water and you just want something cold and refreshing and a little bit you know a little zing of acid and some alcohol that's fine. But I think when you want to experience the full complexity of a white wine, you've got to serve it not room temperature, but warmer than most people think and so yeah this bottle has been out of the fridge for a while you know we've had the wine in the glass for a little while and it really has allowed it to i think be more expressive than it would be served at you know 38 degrees or something like that and I, I agree i think it's important to realize that wine is typically a, is as much a food as a chili or pizza is and all those foods need to be at, a, at the right temperature to be um, fully enjoyable uh, and to reach the maximum um you know pleasure this is why we drink wine and well <laughs> just relieve stress and <laughs> Uh, enjoy our meal and things like that. Speaking with Zach Jabal, who is uh, the owner-founder of VineTrainings.com. He's got uh, a, an article, an online article uh, for SIP Northwest called Tasting Notes. And uh, he's the weekly wine scribe, bar scribe for uh, the Seattle Weekly under the barcode. And we are tasting uh, three wines. He's given me sort of a profile of how he approaches uh, his vine trainings mantra where he shares and um, elevates people's awareness and understanding of wine. Uh, we've got two more wines here. And uh, when we come back from this break, we're going to dive into these quickly because we have also have Eugenio... Uh, Jadim, who is our spokesman uh, for the wines of Portugal. He's based out of San Francisco, and uh, he's in town. We had a great tasting of Portuguese wines, and I know, Zach, that you missed it, so we'll look forward to tasting some of these wines. Uh, folks, if you ever miss one of our shows, and if you want to just share the Happy Hour Radio love, you got to go to happyhourradio.net. We've got a whole host of shows, and uh, it's lots of fun. So stick around, folks. We'll be right back here on Happy Hour Radio. Big names, big news. Sean Hannity, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Time for round two. Hope you got something great in your glass. I've got uh, three glasses of wine, courtesy of my pal Zach Shabal, who is the founder of VineTrainings.com. It's, uh, well, it's the go-to place if you want to host a wine class, either for your corporate business or for your friends or for a bachelorette party or, you know, just want to have um, a little education on the grapes. So, Zach, we were just tasting this BC uh, Riesling from a winery called Tantalus, and that's up there in uh, Kelowna. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Is that part of the Okanagan Valley? Yeah, it is. It's uh, about two-thirds of the way up uh, Okanagan Lake, uh, and the vineyards look right out over the lake. Very, very beautiful place um, in addition to being uh 
spot for some really great wine. Yeah, cool. And uh, you've you have a great selection of wines. How do you choose wines for your classes or for your presentations? Well, you know, I try and sort of find a mix between stuff that people will be familiar with and some wines that I think people would probably never try unless I poured it in a glass for them. Um, and I actually think this next wine is a really great example of that. Uh, this is a, a, a Sirtico, so um, a white wine from uh, the island of Santorini, um, part of Greece in the Mediterranean, uh, made by uh, Thera. Um, and this is actually 2011, so a little bit older white wine. And a Sirtico is something that's become a bit of a hobby horse of mine, a passion of mine. Um, I love wines with a really unique, interesting backstory and and with some struggle in them. And uh, if you've ever seen a picture of Santorini, it kind of is unfathomable to me that anyone makes wine there. It is completely dry. There's no water on the island. It's hot. It's windswept. And you kind of have to appreciate the just the moxie of these Greeks who are like, well, we have no water. The soil is completely depleted. The wind whips through here. We're going to go grapes anyhow. What the heck? And uh, and that the result of the wine is you get these incredibly concentrated, interesting, complex white wines that are like nothing else in the world, I think. Um, and they're just they're this it's like this story of survival in a glass, and I love that <laughs> story of survival. I like that. Well, I think don't they uh, dig little ditches and sort of plant those in there? Oh yeah, and, and they and they have to train. I mean, the vines come up to your ankle. I mean, they're they're yeah. in the Stefani or these like baskets, and they just yeah the basket. They have to train them so low to the ground to catch the dew from the sea in the morning. It's the only moisture they get. I mean, it's just you just you think like this is madness. And it would be if the wine wasn't as good as it is. Who's you, the producer for this, Assertico? Uh, Thera. Uh, Thera. Okay. Thera, yeah, just with a TH. So what am I looking for in this wine? To me, this wine is all about um, some combination of sort of saltiness. I mean, you're in the middle of the ocean, so you're going to get that perceptible saltiness on the on the wine. Um, again, as with the Riesling, but maybe not as pronounced, um, bright acid. And it, But it's got all that with this real kind of richer texture. It's not the... Is an oily quality. Yeah, right? yeah, unctuous almost. It's not the sort of lean and salty um, coastal wines that I think we often think of with Greece and Italy and other sort of coastal nations. It has a sort of a power to it, um, and that's why I love this as a wine for people to taste, and I love it as sort of a, I'm having richer seafood. I don't know what to do. I don't want to drink Sauvignon Blanc with it. I don't necessarily want to drink $40 White Berg, $50 yeah. White Berg. <laughs> I was going to say, you find $40 White Burgundy, you let me know where. <laughs> um, I want to drink... Something that has, yeah, a little bit of that richer texture without oakiness. I don't want to hide the sort of the qualities of the wine. I don't want to necessarily lose the flavors of the fish, the halibut, um, even, say, salmon prepared a little bit more gently, those kinds of things. And I want that saltiness that's really going to come through and pair beautifully with the um, When we say salt and wine, we're not talking about uh, Gallo Madeira or <laughs> Sherry where they had salt no. in that California stuff. Um, that's really fun. So vinetraining.com, you, you offer these classes an opportunity to present um, education on wine. Do you have levels? Do you call it Wine 101 or do you call it uh, you know the first sip or... Yeah, so I have um, a couple of classes. I have Wine 101, which is um, really designed for people who want to understand why they like what they like. Okay. Um, so we try and taste a range of wines, taste them, um, and then talk about what those wines, um, what what the sort of common uh, elements of those wines are, uh, especially with other wines that people might be familiar with. We teach a class for uh, that's a corporate class called Making Wine Work for You, and that's really oh. designed for people who have to um, engage with wine in a sort of professional setting, either ordering at client dinners, pre uh, presenting, or... Um, sort of getting prepared for large events, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and then I also do sort of a slightly more advanced class called Refining Your Palate that's really for people um, who know something about what they want and really want to be able to drill down into, okay, I like Pinot Noir, but why is it that I like Oregon Pinot Noir more than California Pinot Noir and 
you know, more than New Zealand Pinot Noir, say. And Sounds so that, cool. those are more focused. Excellent. Well, this is very exciting. I'm sure people would enjoy that. I did a, a class for uh, one of our fine restaurant groups the other day, and um, it's all about that same thing. So uh, final wine here with uh, Vine Trainings is a red wine. Tell us about this. Sure. So this is a personal favorite of mine on a couple levels. Uh, this is a Reserva Rioja, 2005 vintage um, from uh, Bodegas Ontignon. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's a wine that you've seen pop up more and more in Seattle. Um, I love this wine. Um, I love Rioja. I, I think it represents this incredible um, value in the world of wine. You, know, you get these beautifully aged wines made with real um, high quality um, fi- from high quality vines with great pedigree. This wine is grown at about seven uh, seven hundred meters of elevation, so some of the highest vineyards in Rioja. Um, and you get a lot of what people love about Cabernet, but to me, you get this added sort of spiced element that just rarely see in Cabernet, and you certainly don't see in Cabernet. Um, from the grape itself. It's from the oak if you're getting it. And I just think, you know, these wines are so textured and so interesting and so versatile in food pairings um, that I love to, this is a wine I pour at a lot of my classes. Um, sure. I, I just, it's tasty. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's that, that too, right? Red, it's just dark fun. fruit, spice, hints of earth. Of course, you get the oak note. Um, and uh, funny thing about Tempranillo, it's called many things in, in Spain and of course in Portugal as well. Um, so vinetrainings.com, we can, we can find uh, classes that'll fit our budget and our group size. So mm-hmm. um, I want you to stick around because I'm about to introduce Eugenio Jardim, who is the spokesperson, spokesman for uh, the Wines of Portugal. Um, is it Bienvenidos? I forget. I don't know how they say it, but I don't know Portuguese. Welcome. <laughs> Bienvendo. Bienvendo. Hey, Thank right you. on. Great to be here. Pleasure to meet you at the Portugal Tasting over at uh, the Rainer Club. And um, your role is? I'm the U.S. ambassador for the Wines of Portugal. Excellent. So yeah. I don't see any medals or the big, you know, No, regalia. and it doesn't get me out of jail either. <laughs> uh, I was hoping to get a, like a carte blanche and, oh, right. and immunity. No parking so tickets. So I could talk a lot of trash and not get in trouble. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, someday I'm sure they'll, you'll be elevated, knighted perhaps. I'm hoping. Wines of Portugal. Portugal is a huge country, kind of. Uh, quite the opposite, yeah. actually. Portugal is actually one of the smallest producing uh, wine nations in the world. If you just if for for those since we're so close to California, and I am from from California, uh, you can fit Portugal four times inside California. It's that size, really? <laughs> yes. Wow, it's, it's 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 tiny. And uh, the beautiful thing about Portugal is that uh, within that small area, it has about about two hundred different microclimates, which allowed Portugal to preserve. Uh, about 250 and counting native grape varieties not found anywhere else in the world native of Portugal 250 grape varieties of can the 6,000 around the globe can right? you imagine that yeah, in that's, such a and, small area um, give us some of the names that we've never heard for some of those grapes uh, how about Alfrocheiro <laughs> perfect um, how about one called Esganacão which means strangler dog oh right yeah there's one my one of my favorites is Borrego uh, das Moscas which is like um, flies poop on a grape <laughs> Because the grape is white and has tiny little brown dots oh, on it. Yeah. So not that very appealing. Yeah, really, for sure. Well, Funny um, names in Portugal, for you sure. You poured uh, uh, Zach is here to help uh, be our sommelier extraordinaire. He just poured a glass of wine. What's the first wine you have from Portugal? Well, this is from a fantastic producer in the Alentejo region called Esporão. Um, and we are uh, so, tasting now is a Verdelho. Um, this, unlike uh, uh, what 
but you may think that uh, uh, there's a Spanish grape named Verdejo. Right. This is not related to Verdejo. This is actually Verdelio from the island of Madeira. Uh, if you ever love Madeira, you know, those Verdejos, they are long-lived grapes, and these wines have incredibly bright acidity and freshness. And even though grown in a warm area like the Alentejo, which is a beautiful, beautiful And side that's of more Portugal, of the southern to the central? S- southern and, and also abutting against uh, Extremadura in Spain, yeah. which brings in very, very, very dry, Is that hot Levante? Is that what winds. they call them? The Levante? Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, um, tasting this wine, you're right, it is bright. It has um, a certain uh, weight to it that is very appealing because compared to the, the BC Riesling we had earlier, that was so racy and so bright. Um, this has some nice texture, mm. and uh, it's it's a very interesting fruit profile. I can't really nail it right now. Yeah. I gotta... You know what I love about this wine? And I will tell you a, a little uh, a little fact about this wine. The 2014 vintage of this won the best wine of Portugal, and it was the first time in the history of Portuguese wine competitions that a white, a white wine, wine took the prize. And and this is a little wine that is uh, you can be purchased for less than fifteen dollars. Awesome uh, retail. And, and I see so it's got it was, a screw tops. So that is good. It was a tremendous surprise, and everyone is very pleased with it. And how many people or how many wineries or quintas are producing uh, Verdelho? Not that many. Yeah, not that many. This I believe uh, we owe uh, the fact that this Verdelho is such a success. Successful wine to the winemaker David Baverstock, and because he's Australian, and oh. he saw how successfully uh, this particular grape uh, did in in Australia, so he decided so to. He brought it back. Uh, well, he decided to like take a chance with it and I'm successfully sell. Back. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Very fun. Well, uh, Eugenio Jardim, of uh, ambassador of the. United States Ambassador for the Wines of Portugal. Um, we've got three more wines to taste, and this is really fun. I, I'm really digging the Vordelo. Verdelho. 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 I hope we're going to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I know what it is. We just need to be, keep on sipping wine, loosen up the the uh, sublingual jaw, you know that. Hey, folks, so you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Uh, if you're on the Twitter sphere, check us out at Happy HR Radio. We'll be right back on 570 KVI. He's back, and he's in charge. Kirby Wilbur, live and local weekdays, 9 to noon. Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI, want to know weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio right here on Saturday night at 570 KVI. I've got uh, Zach Jabal, who's uh, the founder of Vine Trainings and the uh, the barcode columnist for Seattle Weekly. And uh, Eugenio Jardim, who is the U.S. ambassador for the wines of Portugal. We just tried uh, a Verdelo. What? How do you say it? <laughs> Verdelio. Verdelio. Yeah, kind of like uh, there's that there's that onion. The Vidalia. Yeah. Vidalia. Uh, Hopefully white... it didn't taste like onion. No, it didn't. <laughs> um, it's a white wine from the uh, Alagentejo. Um, so, Eugenio, give me a little perspective. From north to south, the country of Portugal has seven or eight different DOCs, or how, what do we call them? Oh, wait, way more than that. Uh, we have about 31 uh, different regions, um, and uh, they, they are actually quite distinct. Uh, the beauty about Portugal is that you never... Uh, I'm excited about it because you never get bored 
board because within very small areas, you have dramatic differences between the grape varieties and flavor profiles and aromas. Um, uh, the Alentejo, the, the wine we just tasted, it takes about a third of the country of Portugal. It's a very vast uh, region in the south. And it's breathtakingly beautiful because it used to be uh, it used to be a very um, agricultural uh, area focused on the production of olives and olive oil and wheat, uh, very large fields used for cattle raising. And now they discover that it's also perfect for grapes. So <laughs> Maybe we're happy those, about that. Those cattle cow pies help fertilize that, <laughs> that soil. Um, very cool. Well, we've got uh, the second wine you poured is a red wine. And where is this wine from? This is one, perhaps one of the most unique and interesting wines of Portugal. And if you secretly ask all the Portuguese winemakers which grape variety he's really excited about, they look to the left, they look to the right, make sure nobody's listening, and they say Baga. B-A-G-A, Baga, Baga yeah. is from the region of Bairada. Bairada. And it refers to the fact that the soil is very clay-driven soil. It's in the center, north center of the country. And this grape is a bit of a beast. Um, uh, it is a very tannic red grape variety until until this this man named Luis Pato, following, following in the footsteps of his father, um, uh, decided to treat this grape with great care and almost like you, the Burgundians treat Pinot sure. Noir, you know, the stemming, gentle pressing, open top fermenters, uh, and aging them properly. And so the wine has characteristics that are re reminiscing of Pinot Noir in a sense because the fruit is really red and bright, but also it has this very earthy kind of tense edge to it that I find it exciting. I have a, a, a funny story about this that I I bought a case in 1990 when I was the director of a, a wine director of Jardinier restaurant in San Francisco and my sommelier sold the whole case in one weekend and I came to work on Tuesday and I was panicking that the case had disappeared oh. and, and, I, and, and when I saw him on Wednesday I said what happened did you throw it away did you think the wine was bad it. and he said no you told me that it tasted like an old pomard I believed you, and I sold the whole case. So these wines age beautifully. I mean, I what's the vintage of this particular uh, This is 2011. 2011? Yes. Okay. Yes. And it's already drinking quite nicely, It is drinking, it? and that tannin is, is softened a bit. Zach, what do you think about this wine? You know, it's interesting that Pinot Noir was the the, the uh, sort of uh, varietal that Eugenio mentioned. I To me, this takes me almost to Italy. Like, it's got that <laughs> sort of, that blend of sort of tart red fruit, I gotta Earthy. add to that yeah. is Pinot and Nebbiolo. Those are the yeah. two closest comparisons to it. Piedmont yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. the thing that it has that that would take me more to that if I were tasting this blind is that the the structure of the tannins is such that I, you could get a super tannic Pinot Noir, but it's pretty hard to find. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think they're really beautifully integrated into the wine. And as you said, this is 2011. Um, I think you've got um, really the the possibility for this wine to go quite a bit longer without necessarily feeling tired at all. Um, and I mean, this is something I've never tried. Um, How'd you like it? It's it's really good. I, <laughs> I think I can see why why your sommelier sold the whole case in a yeah. night or in a weekend. But it's also just to me like this is a thing I was really curious about. It, it, the, one of the big challenges I, I feel like you know I've been interested in Portuguese wine and I've at various places I've been tried to um, sell it and I think there's it, it can be challenging in a situation where you can't just pour it for people and be like here try it and when you're trying to sort of explain it and I think part of it is just the names the places are less familiar to most people than Italy Spain France 
how how is it how do you see that in the in the US market where are people getting more familiar with not just where Portugal is or not just that they make things besides port but that like they uh, that there are distinct varietals and distinct winemaking styles there? Well, absolutely. What what two things that I want to say um when I refer to Pinot Noir, I refer to the fruit profile. When I'm talking Nebbiolo is the the structure, structure of the wine. Yeah. So there's the the magic combination that this wine brings. Um I believe that most people didn't was were not born saying uh Chenin Blanc. Um <laughs> I believe that most people never cared how much Cabernet Sauvignon is in a Lafitte or in Latour or in Chateau Mouton. Um so uh, this 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 uh, almost uh, manic approach to wine, just to know exactly what's in the bottle, it almost makes you forget to enjoy what's in the glass, and that's the message about Portuguese wines. These are savory, savory wines. There are food uh, food uh, pairing perfect uh, wines. Um, wines of Portugal. Uh, Portuguese wines in general are not wines that you sit at a bar and sip unless you're talking about the white wines and the rosés and the sparkling. They demand food to be had with. And when you pair them with food, you see where they excel because they they have the, the appropriate structure. They have natural acidity and uh, earthy quality to them that can carry them very far. Well, I think the, obviously as wine has become the number one beverage in alcoholic beverage in America um, and everyone's uh, trying wine, it's the new wine lifestyle, um, people are just more adventurous. They're open to it. They don't have any pre misconceptions or preconceptions about what sh they should have. So um, I, I love the fact that Portugal has a new tagline or a motto, or what are we calling it? It's uh, it's challenge your senses? Yes, exactly. Because uh, really, when in response to your question as well, I think Americans are really interested in trying something new. And I think Portuguese wines bring it. They are like a breath of fresh air. It's, you can't, you, you, like we said it here, it's like Barolo, but not really. Reminds me of Pinot Noir, but <laughs> not really. So they have a lot of individuality. And I think the American uh, palate is being very open and excited about trying something different. And my understanding is that when I, the tasting we had, uh, Portuguese wines have a good value. Are you talking about old old vines to begin with? So you get great character, yes. true typicity yeah. of grape, but also um, some of that land is paid for, so we're not paying for a bunch of new oak either. Exactly. This wine, for example, example, for the average age of the vines is like 45 years. Now imagine the price of that in America. Yeah. Okay. Now in Portugal, you can probably get this wine for less than around 15, between 15, oh, wow. $20 on, on the marketplace. So Portugal beats anyone when it comes to uh, value for your money. I love it. Uh, Baga. 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 All right. What's next? Uh, the next is a wine from the Alentejo. And this, I brought this wine specifically because this typifies what Portuguese wine culture is about. Uh, in Portugal, they didn't have this concept of we plant one grape variety in one plot and that's what we make and then we blend with another. The rule in Portugal is that the wines were all interplanted. So there are vineyards in Portugal that are known to have over 45 grape varieties planted together. The There's, true field blend. Oh, true. <laughs> and when people in America, and I don't know if you've experienced that recently, but people say, so what is this new trend about red blends? I was like, well, let's start there. If you call 2,000 years of culture new, then it's new because Portugal have been making blend wines for 2,000 years. So this is a very interesting blend because it has a couple of different things. It has a grape named Aragonês, which it... 
Tempranillo right, from Tempranillo. Spain. Uh, he has Alicante Boucher, which has been adopted by the Portuguese and is flourishing in the region of Alentejo. He has Turiga Nacional, uh, which is a typical Portuguese grape, a Syrah, which is an international grape, and has a kiss of Cabernet Sauvignon as well. All right. That is quite a blend. It's a great um, integration of all. Aragones, you say it? Aragones. Aragones, yeah. Yes. I got to get the Portuguese accent down. <laughs> um, should get a trip over there. Uh, tasting this wine, it has um, dark fruit, dark red fruit, a little blue, a little touch of black. Um, definitely a savory note and, mm -hmm. and herbaceous, mm -hmm. but it's not. it's more of a roasted meat note to me. Exactly. And also, as you can notice, here, the tanning profile is a lot softer, it's a lot lower. The structure of the wine is mu much softer because it comes from a warmer uh, terroir. So the wines is, uh, are approachable at a younger age. And this is the new quote-unquote frontier for Portugal, producing wines in a more international style. Um, I find it delicious and smooth and interesting that the acidity is just over medium. Yes. But it lingers, so well, it's not necessarily medium plus. This is from a brilliant winemaker, João Portugal Ramos, and it's called Vila Santa Reserva. It's a 2013, believe it or not. Oh, and wow. It's already drinking yeah, this. Yeah, that seems this like it's nice. got four or five years on it already. Exactly. Um, certainly harmonized. And Zach, when we come back from the break, I want to get your perspective on this wine. And we have another red wine to taste um, with our pal uh, Eugenio Jardim, who's the U.S. ambassador for the wines of Portugal and vinetrainings.com. I'm the uh, founder and uh, presenter, Zach Shabal. So stick around, folks. Be right back on 570 KVI. Start your day the right way. John Carlson, live and local, 6 to 10 a.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. You're in the know with KVI One and O Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Hey, folks, welcome back. Hope you're having a great Saturday night. Time for round four, our final segment. So, we got something great in your glass. I've uh, been digging on some Baga and some Aragonias. I hope I got that right. <laughs> but I've got uh, the U.S. ambassador in the studio for the wines of Portugal, Eugenio Jardim, and uh, Vine Trainings presenter and program host, uh, Zach Jabal. So the last wine we tasted was a blend of five grapes, I thought. It was Syrah, Cabernet Sauvignon, Tinto, uh, Trigo Nacional, and then uh, Alicante Boucher, and uh, Aragonieth. I can't figure it out. What was it? Yes, Aragonese. All right. Uh, you said a 2013 vintage. It's drinking quite smooth. It's got lots of complexity. Zach, what's your take on this wine? You know, I found the, the sort of bright fruit notes um, really intriguing. I think, you know, sometimes I think when I pour Portuguese wine for people, they anticipate it tasting like old port and tasting kind of raisiny, raisiny and, yeah. Yeah, and just and sort of dry totally dry <laughs> and yeah and this is this is not that it shows sort of the vitality of these wines in their youth and and uh, like Christopher I was a little surprised that it was only 2013 um and I thought it you know it it definitely in that sort of tannin uh rich but not overly tannic uh sort of bolder but not super full-bodied red wine category it's really um kind of it just did a nice job. I, I think it's it's interesting to see, you know, as the 
as the wines kind of become more global in a sense that you see some convergence, but still like a distinctly unique element to this wine. I think it was that sort of herbal spiced character that, that felt very um, Iberian, I'd say at least, if not uh, distinctly yeah. Portuguese. Yeah, the Portuguese really use the international grape varieties almost as a spice note. Like a, it's a kiss of Cabernet or a kiss of Syrah, but those uh, international varieties never dominate the blends. And the Portuguese are master blenders. There's one extreme cases That's that I there's one extreme case I'd love to share with you. There's a one particular wine in Portugal that had 107 different grape varieties in it. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully that didn't become the norm. Wasn't called the kitchen sink. Yeah, right? can, that can that imagine, label would be a nightmare here uh, in the United can States. Can you imagine going to sell that wine and say, "Oh, what grapes are here?" Well, <laughs> A to Z. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um so fun and of course these are great values and uh, yes. these wines are are available here in the Pacific Northwest. Absolutely, absolutely. These wines are uh, uh uh, available all over the country and in some places obviously uh, readily available there's a, a place here in, in in Seattle that has an incredible selection of Portuguese wines called the Spanish Table the Spanish Table uh, right down Pike uh, Place yes Western absolutely Avenue. they have uh, the best I, I really enjoyed going there and, and, and seeing what they have to offer well um, I trust you also saved the best for last uh, you've got one more wine here and I noticed y it's yes. from a region that we may be familiar with yes uh, this is called Vale do Bonfim and it's from the Douro Valley um, and uh, it's from the Simington's family. The Quinta uh, de Bonfim, right? Quinta de Bonfim is yeah. fabulous wine. And the, the beauty about this wine is that, uh, going back to what Zach was saying before, like, who is crazy enough to look at the, the valley of the Douro and say, I'm going to plant vines up these hills that are impossible to climb? Uh, Someone worried a... about people stealing his grapes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is actually the oldest demarcated region in the world. It was demarcated in 1756 to protect the integrity of port wines from counterfeiting uh, wow. uh, attempts. And uh, now uh, this is a relatively new phenomenon since the 70s that uh, dry red wines from the Douro are popping up. The Doro is has to be and should be in everyone's bucket list because it is one of the most breathtakingly beautiful areas in the world where you must go. Um, it's so beautiful and stunning looking and 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 uh, that uh, UNESCO named a uh, a heritage site, a world heritage site in 2011. So this is a place that should be in everybody's travel agenda, and this is becoming one of the most uh, sought after uh, style of Portuguese wines, uh, even amassing prizes everywhere, um, including the, the third place of the top 100 from Wine Spectator a couple of years ago. Um, so this is a, also a combination of great varieties that you find in the Douro Valley that normally you would see on a bottle of port. They're the same grape varieties, just fermented dry. The names are awesome. Uh, Tinta Barroca, Turiga Franca, Turiga Nacional, and Tinta Horish. Tinta Horish. Does that remind you of something? Shh. Uh, Aragonese. Yeah. Aragonese. Uh, which is yeah. Tempranillo. <laughs> so this is the, the northern nickname for uh, Aragonese. And so it's the same grape variety, but in two areas of Portugal has two different names. And it's Tempranillo from Rioja, from the previous wine that Zach And that's the same us. river. We're talking about the Duero. And Duero turns the Duero. into Douro. Oh, yeah. wow. Well, the name of this wine... 
is uh, Vale do Bonfim. Vale do Bonfim. Well, Dodo. we just chatted up a whole lot. And I tell you, folks, this is a delicious wine. The uh, dry wines from uh, the Douaro Valley are fantastic. Old vines and great grapes, uh, and they are very harmonized. Those are the basis for the, for the fantastic wines of Portugal uh, and port wines. Uh, Zach, hey, um, vinechainings.com, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. My pleasure, Christopher. Thanks so much for having me. And Eugenio, uh, the website to learn more about Portuguese wines? Uh, www.viniportugal.pt .pt. All right, guys. Hey, um, such a fun show. Thanks so much for sharing some fantastic wines. Hope you enjoyed yourself. And uh, hey, folks, uh, we've got the award winners for the Seattle Wine Awards, the Oregon Wine Awards, and the Idaho Wine Awards. So check it out at tastenorthwest.com. And look for me next weekend right here on 570 KVI. Uh, hey, when you're out and about, remember, folks, life is always better with the designated driver. Cheers. Cheers.